This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire Leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. This podcast is sponsored by Regatta Outdoors. It's a glorious spring day and you're heading out on a walk. What do you bring with you? A paper map? Plenty of snacks? Well, of course they're important, but any seasoned hiker will tell you that footwear is the first thing to consider. Whether you prefer relaxed rambles or challenging summits, comfortable and reliable shoes are essential. Regatta has waterproof and breathable footwear for the whole family, for every outdoor occasion. Discover the range in stores nationwide and at regatta.com. Hello and welcome to the BBC Countryfile magazine podcast, the podcast that takes you on adventures into the British countryside and talks to fascinating rural folk about their lives. This time we have a very different story to tell. You may remember back in early August the big news from the village of Whaley Bridge in Yorkshire. Incredibly heavy rain had caused floodwaters to build up in the Todbrook Reservoir above the village and the reservoir dam began to give way. The man who first raised the alarm about the crack in the dam wall and who subsequently led the community response to the impending disaster was local vicar Father Jamie MacLeod. Here he tells our own Andrew Griffiths the incredible story of how Whaley Bridge was saved. For six days in August, Whaley Bridge was at the centre of a storm. Unprecedented rainfall opened up a crack in Tobbrook Reservoir Dam which threatened to wash the Peak District town off the map. What happened next led to the largest ever peacetime evacuation in the UK. It also brought out the kind of community spirit that will be talked about for generations. The world's media's gone now, but ask around about that week and so many stories lead to Father Jamie MacLeod, who has a retreat at Whaley Hall, at the top of the hill above the dam wall. It was Father Jamie who first alerted the authorities which led to the evacuation of the town. And it was Father Jamie at Whaley Hall who the community flocked around to provide food and succour to those emergency services at the sharp end of the enormous rescue effort. I went to Whaley Hall to talk to Father Jamie and in a revealing conversation he tells the story of that week. I began by asking him to describe the moments when he first discovered the damage to the dam. The rain was coming down quite horrifically a few days before and Sunday and the weekend, building up the water, everything was, the rivers, the whole lot. And on the, on the Tuesday night, Wednesday, early hours of Wednesday morning, I woke up to the sound of this almighty roar mm-hmm. of water. And when I got up the following day and I went over to the dam, it was coming over full bore. Um, and I'd never seen it go full bore like that. I've seen the water go over, you know, when the, the wind's sweeping across the water and it, it drives it over. And um, we, um, we went down in the morning, afternoon, evening, and about nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock. And a lot of water going over and everybody was there watching it and things. And the park was flooding and the water was high in the village. And you knew that too much water was actually going over the dam. Mm. And you knew that there was a danger. Um, 
And the following morning... Did it cross your mind at that time that it might go? The I've, dam was I've, in danger of bursting. I've never trusted the dam. Really? Never never trusted the dam at all. Even though um, you blessed the village from... Even though I blessed the village, I never... And as folk looking back, that's probably one of the reasons why I actually... It's like the reason why I blessed the, the dam in 2010. You know, it's it is um, it's something which when the reservoir was drained at that time. Yeah, and um, it's something that you 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 look back with with lots of what's ifs and so forth. But if um, I had a phone call at seven thirty in the morning to say that my um, pomegranates were ready in Buxton, which I still haven't had to have to go and collect, and. Um, I um, thought, well, I won't go just yet. I'll go over to the dam. So I went over to the dam, and as I approached on the hall, which you can see the dam and hear the dam from here, it was starting to go yellow in one part. And um, as I went on top of it, there was, yes, yellow substance coming out of it, which looked like clay and looked like sand. And I thought, this, this shouldn't be happening. And um, the sluice keeper had arrived, and I asked him why he hadn't opened the dam. Mm-hmm. And the re- the response was a kind of, well, you know, we're waiting for the hierarchy. And I said, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. I said, there's a village down there that, sh- you know, if this goes, can be flooded. And at, ha- at 10.32 in the morning, he opened the sluice for the first time. And as he was opening the sluice the stone slabs were cracking and moving above his above him and he came back up to me and I went down to the town hall, the mechanics. So what did you think when you saw that moving? That must have been I was I thought this shouldn't be happening, you know. Um, it's like when you look at an object that you just take for granted is solid. Yeah. That just should not be moving. Mm. It must be a really peculiar experience. And there was a lady who wanted to cross over the dam and I said and I, I said to her, Don't cross the dam, it's not safe. And she decided to cross, and she ran across it. And um, I went down to the town hall, and I saw um, the town clerk, Andrew, and I saw um, the chair of the council, um, Martin. And my words were, at quarter to 11, you need to evacuate the village. (laughs) And within 15 minutes, all the slabs on that side started, had, had gone started to go, were sinking into the mud of it, and the water was coming through the side of the earth. And I thought, this is not a good a good sign. Mm-hmm. And there were people, parents, who were allowing the children to go at the base of the dam when I was telling them to get them get out, out, away from mm-hmm. it, you know, get them out of the park and everything else. About, I think it was about half 11, 12 o'clock, we rang the bell as an SOS to say there was a, a warning. And, um, you know, if, if, if you do SOS, people will think, why is the bell doing a certain mm. sound? And at two o'clock, just after two o'clock, the evacuation started. Within an hour, I put on Facebook that we wanted um, as much help as possible. And um, within the hour of the SOS, um, people started to arrive to the hall. And we must have had about 150 people to start with here. And um, I 
we started putting something what we were going to do and people came that wanted to do sandbags and things and of course there was no sand and no sandbags and I said you know if if people can bake and cook and if people wanted to, needed somewhere to come and stay you know there was 40 beds here so that's the start of it and then we started it's an incredible response that though isn't mm. it and it makes you realise the power of social media yeah. as much as anything because David was telling you being quite sceptical about Facebook before we started doing tea and coffee in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> wheelbarrow. <laughs> tea and coffee in a wheelbarrow. But you, you wheeled that down to the yes. crew. So we took the um, <laughs> took the uh, the tea in and the big tea in and the wheelbarrow and the tea bags and cold drinks and everything else. Yeah, that's quite a contrast with the high tech of Facebook and then the wheelbarrow in the yes. yeah. I like that. <laughs> and um, so we started doing that, and then we realised that this needed to be a bigger exercise. So we, we then started that we wanted to do food and things for them. And by this time, they were working night and day. And, of course, no food and things. And what you have to realise is that the village was split into two halves, so north and south. So the mm. water had, div- had d- divided everybody. So you couldn't get from one side to the other. Mm. Um, it's because the pumps were pumping from pump, both sides as that's well, right. weren't they? And, um, and it was too unsafe to go from one side to the other because we didn't know uh, when the dam was going to go. Um, the dam came very close to going at six, about 6 o'clock in the evening. They ran off the bridge and about 4 o'clock in the morning. We were about 98% um, that the dam was going at that point. David said that, 98% yeah. certain. That's what they, the, the yeah. professionals estimated. That's right, and 23 metres, of, we started off pumping out 23 metres of water. Yeah. And a 98% mm-hmm. chance of it yeah. gone, because I think what actually made the media at the time was a 50-50. Mm. That was the start of it, yeah. But you were saying, you're saying, yeah. they came you're telling it was they, 98% yeah, they, at one stage, they yeah. thought it was that. Yeah. Um, and they... That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and they, he knew within the first hour that the, the emergency services knew that this was a bigger job than just local fire brigade and everybody. Yeah. And that's when it became um, a national disaster. Yeah. And um, they came from all over the, the, the country to help. Um, and... Um, what people don't realise in, in, in the way the bridge is that because, you know, it'd be unfair for them to realise is the sense that actually there was um, body bags which were brought in. Really? Mm. Yeah, we had, um, we had six emergency boats that were brought in from Pool, Wales, um, and that was not just looking for bodies, it'd be looking for body parts. I remember um, one of the... One of the Emergency crew came up to him and touched me on the shoulder, and he said, um, "You know, we've got you with us." Um, and that was that was something which was quite touching because, basically, if there was a front line, and as a priest you were on the front line, mm. you know, and you know you knew that that dam would be going at any time if it went, mm. um, that. For, for those of us that are in ministry, it's not just about helping the people then, it's the next part, what may happen. Mm. You know, um, you know it's, it's, it's about, you know, you, you, you do what you can do in that situation. 
Mm. Um, and it's it's not the nicest of situations to be thrown into, and I, I, I wouldn't risk, I, don't, I wouldn't throw it on anybody, but I'm very, very proud of how everybody came together. Mm. Um, you know, I'd never seen that in Rainier Bridge before. Um, you know, they, they talk about this wartime experience where everybody pulled together. There was a sad that it was the largest national disaster since the Second World War where everybody mm. came together. And there were over a thousand different organisations that came here to Rayleigh Bridge. You know, of our population, just over, just under 7,000 people. Mm. And... Um, I suppose you never know how you're going to react until... I think... You can't um, prepare for something like that. You can't can prepare you? for something like that. And, and it, it was about my... Every day rolled into one day. And you lost count of what day it was, what month it was. Um, and there was one particular day, it was probably the Tuesday, I can't remember, and I remember just standing there in the house and burst into tears. And that's when, that's when it first, I suppose, hit me. Um, and um, and I was aware, the more I spoke about it and I opened up about how I felt, the more other people were also opening up and other people were crying and we were crying together. And, um, you know, and every time at the moment that a helicopter goes over or you hear a beep or whatever, people are on tenderhooks still. Suppose in your role, the ministry, you have a sense of responsibility. Did you feel that? You do, I suppose. Um, to be to be strong for others, would you say? I don't think it's necessarily being strong for others. I think it's being there for people. Um, you know, you you are. Hopefully, you're somebody who, if people are in need, they can go to. Um, and one of the things that we, we did and what I did on Facebook from the beginning was we opened the church up here for 24 hours a day. Um, and that we offered that for people to come and light candles, to pray. We, we did um, a, a liturgy on the Thursday evening and on the Sunday. Um, and we invited people of faith and no faith, whatever their tradition, you know, that everybody was welcome. And I think that is one of the greatest things you can do is that you you open up um, your church or your building or whatever for everybody, you know, because that's that's a place where people need. Um, if it's if it's even just to come for a coffee or a talk, you know, to me that's as important as the person who came and helped make food. You know, um, because everybody came together, and um, do you feel it strengthened your faith? I think yes. I I have great I have great faith, um, and I know that some people would say, "If there was a God, why did this happen?" And I would say, "Well, I ha I have a great faith and a great God, and w the disaster didn't happen. We came very close to it happening." Um, and thank God it didn't happen. Um, but I, I think I'm drawn to the point to the, to the to those years of me going over 
and saying a blessing on the dam, mm. you know. Um, and whatever people's thoughts or, you know, their theology um, or their tradition, um, there are some people I know who will never understand what the Blessed Sacrament is or understand anything like that. Um, but for those that do understand um, sacraments, um, I think there is an understanding that, you know, God is present. And I think it's a case of, in a sense, sometimes allowing God, you know, and believing in God to take over a, a situation um, that could have gone terribly wrong. And it was a situation that brought out the best in people. I think it did. I think it brought the best out in everybody. Um, you know, there, there's, as you've come from the village today, and as you've probably been in Whaley Bridge this last two weeks, it's three weeks yesterday that the, the, it happened. Um, the time has gone so quick um, that there's been some wonderful things which are being done. I personally don't want to see the, the dam be put back. I would, if I had a stick of dynamite tomorrow, I'd blow it up. Um, I, I would like to see um, the water taken from being a reservoir to being a large lake. Well, back to being a wetland. Yes. I, I think that if it, if it was made into a nature reserve with a large lake, and there was a woodland walk with all wildflowers and everything that you could walk around it. That was like a beach kind of thing that, that was made safe. A proper sluice system put on it, going back to the riverbed so that it would desilt the, the main brook. And they could also put on there um, a water turbine so they could generate electricity. And there's no reason why they don't do that when, when all these electric cars are brought finally in this could be the first green village in the country doing green electricity for cars. What a brilliant and very moving story. It's amazing to reflect that if it wasn't for the swift actions of Father Jamie and his community, we could have seen a serious disaster this summer with possible significant loss of life. We'll keep reporting on the Whaley Bridge story and you can find out more at our website countryfile.com, especially about the issues of flooding and water shortages that may be brought about through climate change. A huge thank you to Father Jamie and Andrew Griffiths for telling this story. Tune in next week for more great tales from the British countryside. Thanks for listening, and goodbye for now. Whether it's gloriously sunny or a spring downpour, you can always get outdoors with regatta. So what are you waiting for? Find a route, grab your walking shoes and start exploring. Regatta Great Outdoors offers all types of performance footwear, from technical hiking boots for regular ramblers to durable walking shoes for the whole family. With waterproof and breathable qualities, shock-absorbing comfort and superior grip, Regatta footwear is designed to withstand whatever challenges Mother Nature throws your way. Discover the range in stores nationwide and at regatta.com.